We are literally hours away from starting to shoot more footage and getting ready for another great year. I love the song behind that. Uh, this is living. It's time to live again, folks. Too many people have not been living. It's time to live again. So I wonder every time I watch that video and seeing they're here, I can ask, Lakin House, when Jenna does bad things, do you threaten her? We're going to roll you in ketchup if you keep that up. I mean, I always love seeing her just wrapped in saran wrap. Yes, Brian, rolled kids in ketchup, mustard, and relish. It was disgusting. But then right after that, this rain came through and washed everything away. It was just amazing. So talk about that in a few minutes, what's coming uh, in, in, the, in the week to come. But until then, so much has been going on here this week. And it's just been a great week of accomplishing things uh, for God's purposes. One of them, you pulled in today and you might have noticed that a whole bunch of our, our grass out there just kind of raptured away. What's happening? Uh, we're, we're putting in a sidewalk that's literally going to go from the gym all the way down to the other end of the parking lot. Uh, and we're doing that for a couple of reasons. When the winter comes and we have those mornings that the parking lot's a little slushier than you want and whatever, gives you the chance to get up on the sidewalk a little bit sooner so that's really helpful, obviously. And then, and then for some of you, you know, you got those, those toddlers that like to sprint in and out between cars. Now you can give them that challenge to, no, we're going to run down the sidewalk instead. So, so that's coming. We're grateful for the work that, that Jim Van Eck is doing and, and getting that going for us. And we had uh, sod cutters going like crazy this week. Jim was doing it, and Dave Papish was uh, out there, and, and Michael Brown, and, and got that sod moved actually to a spot on the property where we've had difficulty growing grass. So that stony area is gone, and instead we're going to have a nice area out there. So, so we're grateful for that. It was so fun to be together last week uh, to celebrate out on the ground, outside, have an outdoor service at 1030, and then the picnic to follow. Some of you discovered that, that God just did not just give us an amazing building in this place, but an incredible piece of property. And so for some of you, you had your first wander back to the zip line, back to the fort, and on down into the wetland and seeing all that's going on down there. God's growing some beautiful stuff this time of year. Just yesterday, I noticed some of the beautiful irises have popped up and a lot going on down there. So we got two more of those this summer. July 4th happens to fall on a Sunday, so we're going back outside that day, and then on Labor Day as well. And just to remind you, on those days, that's the only service we're having. So we're not holding one at 9 o'clock, not doing a video on that day. It's just that day we're outside together. So uh, the next one, July 4th, gear your brain toward that. And like this time, we'll do a picnic and, and we'll have a, a lot of fun together. So let me share a few things that went out yesterday in the update. Uh, we are... Um, for the summer at two services, this is the first week that our eight o'clockers are joining us in this service or the next. So it's, it's good. Some of you are going to get a chance to see somebody that you haven't seen in a while, and it's, it's fun to be back together. But with 9 and 10.30 throughout the summer, and then come fall, we'll talk a little bit about whether or not we revive that eight o'clock uh, as, as an option. I know some of you like that earlier option. It's been uh, great for your schedule and really helps. So uh, we'll, be, we'll be talking about that. Uh, one of the things that we're asking you to consider is to join us here tomorrow night. Actually, when I say us, that's kind of a, that's a, an us that it doesn't include me because I'm going to be somewhere else. But um, we're, we're asking you to come and join together in prayer for, for our kids and for our leaders who are experiencing a transformative week away. Uh, just to remember, this isn't, it's not a week that's just going and having fun together, doing work projects together, but we really do believe that God changes lives. 
And we believe that God uses sacred spaces and spiritual times in order to prompt a moving of the Spirit that is unusual in our lives. It causes something that, that doesn't happen in normal, everyday life. Sometimes we need to, to get away. We literally need to retreat in order to have that moment that we hear from God. And so uh, we're asking you to be praying on our behalf. And that's tomorrow night uh, from 7 to 8 o'clock here. So if you'd come and, and join with that, it would be so greatly appreciated. We are headed off this afternoon uh, the vans, you see them all out there lined up and ready to go. And the email tells us that we're going to student check-in starts at 2.30. And then we have a mandatory parent meeting at 2.45 with our kids. And around 3 o'clock we'll get in the van so that we can get to Culver's in Sun Prairie by 6 and get to Green Lake just a little bit after that. So uh, one, a couple of things to remember on that. Kids will be doing some painting and staining, so you will want them to take along at least one set of clothing that can get destroyed or at least can be worn memorably, something to that order. I have some things with the Green Lake green stain on them that I wear every once in a while. Just remember what the benches look like, but need that. And then we do provide work gloves, but the work gloves were made for um, Andre the Giant. So if, if your child has a little bit smaller hand and you need a, a better fitted glove, you'll either need to get one, bring one from home, or go ahead and, and uh, pick one up this afternoon. So Throughout the week, our students are going to get a chance to uh, worship together with our student band. They're, they're going to be coming up here right now and, and leading us actually in some worship this morning. So I want to get them in place as, as, we, as we wrap up what we've got. And the wrap up is we have two great journey group opportunities being offered this summer. Uh, one for women, and, and that one's happening in a, in a local park. So you can go on, on the website and find that. And the other one, uh, guys, all I'll say is it involves the word bacon. You can't get more spiritual than bacon. So uh, those two opportunities are out there. If you want to jump in and get involved in, in a group this summer, uh, you, you get the chance to do that. So we are going to be singing together. You ready for this? Going to have some fun? All right. Why don't you all stand, and we're going to sing. Bring your tired and bring your shame. Bring your guilt and bring your pain. Don't you know it's not your name? You will always be much more to me. And every day I wrestle with the voices that keep telling me I'm not right. That's alright. Cause I hear a voice and he calls me redeemed. When others say I'll never be enough And greater is the one living inside of me Than he who is living in the world In the world In the world And greater is the one living inside of me I had to laugh when they, were, when they were rehearsing. I thought, you can tell today that Shelly and Jason aren't on because that song had kind of a, a country feel to it. And, uh, and I'll tell you what, Shelly, I laugh. You know, we watch American Idol or whatever. The country people come on. 
Fast forward. Can't stand it. Jason, say country to Jason Aubrey and see what his skin does. It melts off his body. It's just, it's, it's very, very fun. So, but I love it, you know, because every once in a while you got to sing God's music. So anyway, here we go. Uh, good stuff. Good stuff. We, uh, we've been on a, a fun journey all week long, or all year long. As we, as we talked last week, uh, we mentioned that going out on the lawn and having that service together was, in a sense, the, the commemoration of an anniversary. It was a year ago, this Sunday, that we gathered together after several weeks of being apart, after several weeks of, of watching church on video, and finally coming together once again. And, and that feeling, I still remember just being together. It was, it was so overwhelming to be with people that you loved. And it's not like it had been that long. You know, it had been, it had been a, a couple of months, but nonetheless, it, it felt like, my goodness, I haven't seen you forever. And coming together was amazing. And then we moved inside. And uh, last week, we wrapped up this, this series we've been going through in the Psalms of Ascent's and so I wanted to get a sense of, God, where have you taken us this past year as we've, as we've wandered through your word and tried to understand how to wander through the world in which we live? So you go back to last summer and you remember that we, we went through a series called Common Rule. And it was basically an opportunity to talk about some practices, daily practices and weekly practices that we could incorporate in our lives that would reestablish some rhythms because what had happened while we were apart is that some rhythms kind of got blown up. For a lot of us, we're, we're used to. Sunday comes, we're together. We're together with God's people. And all of a sudden, that rhythm wasn't there. It wasn't there in the same way. And so we talked about reestablishing some basic rhythms. Then we came into the fall, and we, we took a good look at Joshua, understanding this man who had the very intimidating job of following Moses, probably just one of the best leaders in human history, and now he gets the opportunity to take over and lead the people into the promised land and, and to be challenged by challenges that would, that would overwhelm anybody, just tremendous challenges. And in that, God had told him, and Moses had told him, be strong and courageous, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. And we needed strength and courage because we were going through just absolutely turbulent times, whether it was the disease that was infecting our world or, or the political scene or the social unrest, all of these things, were, they, were, they were rattling us, they were shaking us. And we needed to know, God, how do you want us to be courageous in the world in which we're living? In January, we took some short time there in those few weeks to do some fasting together and praying, seeking God's face and his guidance. And then we moved into the winter and on into the spring and here to early summer, and we went through the Psalms of Ascents. And again, the, the title of that was, What is Normal? Because we were trying to get this sense of, as people said, I want to get back to normal. We didn't want to just get back to the things we used to do, because some of the practices that we had weren't particularly normal. They weren't particularly good or healthy for us. So we wanted to make sure that as we move back to what is normal, that we're actually moving into what is normative for the Christ follower. And one of the things we learned and we knew was that it is not normal to feel at home in this world. For a lot of us, we're, we're in this world and we're just like, man, this place is a mess. It's crazy. What's going on here? And we wonder what's going on, and we wonder what's wrong with us, and it's like, no, no. It's what's wrong with the world, and it's the fact that this world is not our home. This is not our permanent residence. And so we, we get used to that sense of dissonance, and we learn how to live with that. So as I looked at all those different series, what I started to realize is that there's this theme running through them, 
And the theme was really survival tactics. How in the world do we make it through a crazy year? And how in the world do we live in a crazy world and maintain not just sanity, sanity's nice, don't get me wrong, but, but to maintain our faith, to maintain our Christianity, to maintain our relationship with God that, that spreads throughout the world. How do we do that? And so as we move into June, I want to talk about one last survival tactic. And it's one that is, that's ever so important for every, every believer. But boy, I believe that. I believe it has real significance right now. In fact, I would dare say these weeks are some of the most important teaching we're going to be doing for a long, long time. Because we need to know, we need to know how to think biblically in a world that is not thinking biblically at all. There was a time that, that I think our country had a sense of, of cultural Christianity. Even if everybody was not a Christian, and they were not, there was a sense of cultural Christianity. People had a, a sense of, of common morals. And that is gone by the wayside. Over the past decade, we are living in absolutely the opposite place, where the things we believe, the things we believe, the things we proclaim and declare are actually being called bad and wrong and unrighteous. And things that I promise you 20 years ago, you would never have dreamed to be true in our country, are called normal. And those are the things we're supposed to be leaning into. And the question is, how do we live into this as Christ followers? Because here's what I'm watching Christ followers do. They're morphing to what the world is doing. They're just, they're, they're letting, the Bible says don't let the world squeeze you into its mold, and yet that's exactly what's happening for Christ followers. Just watching church after church after church decide to go along with the ways of the world because the ways of the world keep dripping and dripping and dripping and dripping into their minds, and they buy into the false morality of our time rather than the biblical truth that is there for us to live as devoted Christ followers. And so we're going to be looking at this because we do live in times that, that truth and error are far more difficult to figure out. We have a lot of information. We are a, we are a well-informed generation. In fact, I would dare say we are the best informed generation that has ever walked the face of the earth. You, in a moment, you can have information on anything. How many times have you said over the past week, just Google it? I mean, constantly, right? We're trying to figure something out. We're watching a video. We're trying to figure out things right there at our fingertips. You've got, you've got news sources. You've got social media sources. You can look it up. You can figure it out. The information is there. And yet it's amazing that for as well informed as we are, we are one of the dumbest generations that's ever walked the face of the earth. We're clueless. We just, what in the world is going on that we can be so well informed and so ignorant at the same time? What's happening? Well, I would dare say part of what's happening is that this has gone out the window, and God has gone out the window, and we're seeing the natural consequences of a world that says, we're going to do it our way. We're going to do it our way, and we're going to do it without God. But God has called Christ followers to continue to do it with God. It was many years ago now that Kim's dad went into the doctor for a routine procedure, and while he was there, somehow they discovered that his liver was covered with polyps. It was just covered with polyps. Brian was a little boy. I think, I think Shelley was born at that time. We were living in St. Louis, and we got together with them in a park in St. Louis 
with the understanding at that point that we just had, we had a few months to be with him and he was going to be gone. And, and, and in fact, the doctor was so upset when he saw these results that he, when he shared them with my father-in-law, he cried. He cried. He couldn't believe what was happening. What was interesting, I think the medical field shows us something about what's going on in our world. The doctor had information, but he didn't know what the information meant. The doctor thought this was a death sentence, when in fact, Mr. Fry just lived with polyps on his liver all of his life. They, they were finally able to look at a liver and say, huh, this is interesting, that liver has polyps. We have information, but we don't always know what the information means. As Christ followers, God has given us the ability to know what the information means. Not to just hear it and say, huh, that's interesting, or to follow along with whatever the herd is doing, but to actually know and do something about it. The other reason I think it's important to look at this topic is because we have so many people making decisions about their lives. Decisions about where they'll live, decisions about who they'll marry, decisions about where they'll go to college, if they'll go to college. All of these decisions all the time. And God wants us to turn to Him in those moments of decision. So this month we're going to talk about the, the ever so important topic of discernment. Biblical discernment. Being able to know and understand the will of God for our lives. You see, the reality is we are always discerning. We don't even realize it, but we're always discerning. Information is always coming to us, and we're always having to figure out, what does this information mean? What does it mean to me? How am I supposed to live in light of what I know? We're always discerning. And it's a biblical process that God wants us to engage. And I promise you this, much like what we talked about in the Psalms of Ascent, the more you practice biblical discernment, the more you're going to look around and say, man, nobody else is doing what I'm doing. What's going on? And you're going to realize that what God has called us to a different way of living and a different way of thinking than just floating along with the information of the world. So I'd like to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 2 this morning uh, to introduce this topic. And today we're really just, we're defining discernment. We're trying to get a handle on what is this thing all about? 1 Corinthians chapter 2, Paul is he's writing to Corinthian church. And if you have the chance to read 1 and 2 Corinthians and study it at all, what you realize is that Paul in that church did not have the best of relationship. It really was more the, the church that had the struggle with Paul than the other way around. The, the church made accusations against Paul. One of the accusations was, you know, when you write to us, my goodness, you are strong and you are bold and, and you speak it the way it is. But when you're with us, you're kind of soft-spoken and timid and it seems like you're two different people with us all the time and we don't know what exactly to do with you. And those were, they're bringing these accusations against Paul. So, so when you read 1 Corinthians and read 2 Corinthians, there are times that you're reading it and you're thinking, wow, it almost feels a little bit defensive. And in some ways it is. Paul was giving a defense of his actions, a defense of, of why he was doing what he was doing with them. So we come to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. He says, When I came to you, brothers, I did not come with eloquence or superior knowledge as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. So the first thing he's basically saying is, I purposely didn't come and use big words and lofty language. 
I purposely didn't come and, and, and try, to, try to look brilliant in front of all of you. That was not my purpose. Even though Paul is so well-educated, he could, he could look brilliant in front of any of us. He said, I didn't do that. He said, for I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Now, I'm just telling you, that sentence right there, that is a key to biblical discernment. Right there. That is a key to biblical discernment. For a lot of us, when we're doing discernment, we're trying to figure out what is right or what is wrong. What is truth? What is error? What's the next step God wants me to take? What does he want me to do? And we focus on that. And Paul is saying, you know what we should be focusing on? We should be focusing on Jesus. We should just have our eyes on Jesus. We should have our eyes on getting to know Jesus better, entering into a deeper relationship with him because as we know him better, we will develop a spiritual sense that will help us to understand what is right and what is wrong. We will have a sense of what he wants us to do next. I'll give you an example from real life. Kim and I have been married since 1985. I know her pretty well. I get a pretty, pretty good sense of, of what she wants and what she doesn't want. For example, while she's gone this week, I'm not going to go buy a dog. It's just not going to happen, you know? This would not be a happy moment when she shows up at home. There are things that I know. I know her. I just know. I didn't have to sit down and say, checklist. So do you want this? Do you not want this? What do you think? Should we do this? Should we do that? The more I get to know her the more I just know. The more you get to know Jesus, the more you just know. It's not so much about memorizing all these little details and facts as much as a relationship where the more I get to know him, the more I just know. And that's discernment. He said, I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ in him crucified. I came to you in weakness and fear with much trembling. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with the demonstration of the Spirit's power so that your faith might not rest on men's wisdom, but on God's power. I love this. He recognizes that it wasn't just all a knowledge game, but that his people saw the relationship he had with God. God's power would be evident in his life. And that's what God wants from us. Not just people that walk around with all the facts, but God's power is evident in our lives in such a way that other people are turned toward him. Even this past year, we had the opportunity again and again to live a life of faith and to show people what a life of faith looks like. Not just declaring to them what they should do or shouldn't do, but for them to see the way we live, living in the power of God, living in faith and showing that to other people. Verse 6, he says, We do, however, speak a message of wisdom among the mature, but not the wisdom of this age or the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. No, we speak God's secret wisdom, a wisdom that has been hidden and that God is destined for our glory before time began. None of the rulers of this age understand it, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. So here's what he's saying. The world has a wisdom that they call wisdom, and it just isn't wisdom. And I'm telling you what, the more you walk, the more you listen, the more you turn on the TV, whatever it is, you go, my goodness, they may know something, but what they don't know is the truth. 
The truth of God and the truth of the world do not look the same at all. And more and more as we move into this post-Christian era, the gap is wider and wider and wider between what is true and what the world thinks is true. He says, it is written, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who love him. But God has revealed it to us by his Spirit. So really, the second part of discernment is not just this idea of, having, of, of growing in our relationship with Christ, but it's also growing in relationship with the Spirit of God and allowing the Spirit of God to guide us. He says, the Spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. For who among us knows the thoughts of a man except the man's spirit within him? In the same way, no one thought, knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. We have, re- we have not received the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we may understand what God has freely given to us. He's saying, I'm giving you the ability to understand something that you cannot understand apart from a relationship with God and apart from a relationship with God's spirit. He says, this is what we speak, not in words taught us by human wisdom, but in words literally taught us by the spirit, expressing spiritual truths in spiritual words. The man without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, for they are foolish to him. There are times that you'll be expressing a a spiritual concept to someone else, and you know they're giving you that look like, man, you are dumb as a box of rocks. You actually believe that stuff? Because you, you can't understand it apart from the Spirit of God. The man without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, and he cannot understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The only way we can know these things is through spiritual discernment. The spiritual man makes judgments about things, but he himself is not subject to any man's judgment, for who has known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him? And then the last line, but we have the mind of Christ. If you want a practical working definition of discernment, there it is right there. We have the mind of Christ. We think like Jesus. We we do our best to know Jesus so that we can think like Jesus in this world. If you look at the way Jesus was received by the world, he was not received well, was he? He was thinking in a way that was different than everything and everyone around him. But we have the mind of Christ. And so we're going to be looking at how do we develop the mind of Christ? How do we have that kind of biblical, spiritual discernment? There are uh, several words used in both the Old Testament and the New Testament for discernment. Five different words in Hebrew in the Old Testament, two in the New Testament. All of them hold ideas of of understanding, of knowledge, of, of really being able to, that sense of wisdom, being able to not just know what something is, but understand how it works. We have all these different words. What is biblical discernment? What does it mean? What does it look like? If you look at Psalm 119.66, David writes these words, Teach me knowledge and good judgment, for I believe in your commands. That word good judgments is, is a word for discernment. He says, teach me knowledge and teach me discernment. Help me to understand the mind of Christ. Help me to understand the way I'm supposed to think. Now here's what I love. That, that word good judgments, that word for discernment there, in other places in the Old Testament is translated with the word taste. I want you to think about that for a moment. It's not no, it's it's taste. 
Discerning is tasting. A lot of us discern by tasting, don't we? Put something in our mouth, ooh, I like that, or ooh, what was that? We discern with our taste. There's uh, clearly connected to our brain, but our other senses are involved. I, I love this because in part, what, what God is saying in his word is that discernment is a spiritual sense. It's a spiritual sense. Sometimes you're just, you're going to be listening and you're going to go, hmm. You, you might even say, that doesn't smell right. What, what's, go, what's going on there? That just doesn't smell right. That, that's not a thinking, right? That's, that's a taste. That's a, that's a sense. That's a, that's a discernment. The Spirit of God gives us this discernment to be able to say, something just isn't right there. What's going on? Something just isn't right there. One, one author wrote, Biblical discernment is the ability to make discriminating judgments, to distinguish between and recognize the moral implications of different situations and courses of action. So a piece of discernment is to be able to look and say, I could go this way, I could go that way, it could work out this way, it could work out that way. What does God want? And to be able to distinguish between the two. It says it also includes the ability to weigh up and assess the moral and spiritual status of individuals, groups, and even movements. So there will be times, for example, that you'll be watching a TV preacher, Bible teacher, whatever, and they're teaching and you're going, huh, interesting. He's Christian, got the little fish symbol behind him. I don't know if anybody does right now, so I'm not calling anybody out, okay? Got a cross on the pulpit, and yet what he's saying, it just doesn't smell right. It doesn't, doesn't taste right. What is that? What's going on there? You can't just... Just because somebody publishes a book through a Christian book, book, book publisher doesn't mean that it's a Christian book, right? But for a lot of us, we fall for it because it's got the label on it. It's got the cross on it. It's got the fish sign on it. Of course it's good. Of course it's okay. No, we're, discernment takes you to this point that you're kind of going, huh, I know that's what he's saying, but I know that, honestly, the same should be happening with me when I speak. Because I am not perfect. I am not divine. And, and there should be a sense every once in a while that you go, huh, I don't know about that. And you dig into it a little bit more. God gives us this sense of discernment through his spirit to be able to distinguish right and wrong. I, I like this definition. It goes on to say, so discernment is learning to think God's thoughts after him. It's really learning to think the way God thinks. Practically and spiritually means having a sense of how things look in God's eyes and seeing them in some measure uncovered and laid bare, which is a reference to Hebrews 4.13 where it says, nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. So it says we, we, we start developing the mind of God that we're able to think God's thoughts after him. So let's just break down several things of what discernment is all about. First of all, discernment is the ability to distinguish right, wrong, truth, error. It's the, it's the ability to be able to look in something and say, that's true, that's not true. That's right, that's not right. That's moral, that's immoral. And to be able to look at those things and see it. Sadly, we live in a time that, that I'll just flatly say, we are being brainwashed to think the way the world thinks. Right down to, if you have an Apple calendar, it's telling you what you should think and what you should celebrate and what's important. It's a constant drip all the time 
of the world's thoughts, the world's ways, the world's thinking all the time, all the time. Discernment helps us to know what is right and what is wrong, what is true and what is false, what is righteous and what is godless. We can tell the difference between them. Book of Hosea, a book that you probably have not read recently. Hosea 14 says, who is wise? He will realize these things. Who is discerning? He will understand them. The ways of the Lord are right. The righteous walk in them, but the rebellious stumble in them. Romans 12, 2 talks about this sense of knowing right and wrong. It says, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that, you, that by testing you may discern, there's that word, discern what God's will is, what is good and acceptable and perfect. When he's talking about God's will here, I don't think he's talking about knowing, should I go this way or should I go that way? He's really talking about the moral will of God. And he's saying the more our mind is transformed to have the mind of Christ, the more we will know what is good, what is acceptable, and what is perfect. The more we will know what is right and what is wrong, and we will be able to distinguish between the two. So, biblical discernment is the ability to distinguish right, wrong, truth, and error. It's also a cousin of knowledge and wisdom. They're related. They all kind of go together. You go to Daniel 2, and Daniel's praying to the God of heaven because God has revealed to him a dream that Nebuchadnezzar had. And, and he says things like, praise to the name of God forever and ever. Wisdom and power are his. He changes times and seasons. He sets up kings and dispose, deposes them. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to the discerning. He almost uses them interchangeably. And while they are not completely interchangeable, they're cousins, they're related. You'll find as you look at the word discernment that it's a synonym of decision-making. A lot of times people will say, I'm going through a discernment process right now. I'm trying to figure out what God wants for me. I'm trying to figure out the next step. Where am I supposed to go? What am I supposed to do? And so that's another piece of discernment. Not just knowing right and wrong, truth and error, but also knowing, God, what's the next step? Where do you want me to take me next? Because I, I want to walk in your ways. I want, I want to be your hands and your feet in this world today. Show me the direction you want me to take. We saw in Genesis chapter 41 that jo Joseph is talking to Pharaoh and they know this famine is about to come. It, it, Joseph knows this by revelation from God. And he says, we need some years of, of collecting, collecting food because and we need to collect all we can because a severe famine is going to come and we're going to need that food. And Pharaoh says, well, Joseph says, what we need is someone who is discerning and wise and we need to put them in charge of Egypt so that they can collect the food during this time and help us during the bad times. Pharaoh says, look around. Is there anybody on whom the Spirit of God rests like this? Then Pharaoh turns to Joseph and says, since God has made all these things known to you, there is no one so discerning and wise as you. And he put him in charge. So this wasn't a matter of, you know, is it morally right or morally wrong to eat? It was, how should we go about doing this so that we have food when there is no food? So sometimes discernment is about right and wrong. Sometimes it's about knowing the next step to take. What is God's will for us? I love in, in Philippians 1, Paul says, this is my prayer that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best and pure and blameless until the day of Christ. I, I love that he says that, that you may be able to discern what is best. 
Because here's another huge piece of discernment. Not just knowing what is right and what is wrong, but knowing what is good, better, and best. It's a struggle, isn't it? Sometimes we're looking at three things and they're all good. Which is the best choice? Which is the best choice of these? And God gives us the ability through spiritual discernment to know what is best. Now another thing we learn about discernment in the Bible is that it's a distinct spiritual gift. God gives us all of us the ability to grow in discernment. All of us have that ability. But there are some people that are spiritually gifted with discernment. Just like there are some that are spiritually gifted with encouragement or with giving or with helping or with teaching. There are some who are spiritually gifted with discernment. It's like, it's like, it's like discernment on, on, on superpower. You know, there's a spiritual gift of discernment. Here's the way Paul describes it in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. It says he gives to one person the power to perform miracles, another the ability to prophesy. He gives someone else the ability to discern whether a message is from the Spirit of God or from another spirit. It's a supernatural gift from God to know the difference between the two, which helps us to see that a, that a piece of biblical discernment is not just knowing right and wrong, but, it, but it's the ability to distinguish spiritual origins. Did this come from God or did this come from Satan? Did this come from, from God or is this just worldly thinking? And to be able to see the difference between the two. That just, just because... Bible words are used, doesn't necessarily mean that the source was God. It might have been a satanic source, and to be able to know the difference between the two, but too often we are easily deceived. A person will use certain words, and we go, well, they must be telling the truth. Really? Discernment helps us to know not just if something is right or wrong, but to actually know the spiritual source. First John chapter 4, he says, Dear friends, do not believe every spirit. But test the spirits to see whether they are from God because many false prophets have gone out into the world. It says just because someone is using spiritual wording doesn't mean that they're from God. And we need to be able to test the spirits and distinguish between them. Another thing about discernment, it is a sign of spiritual maturity. You can grow in discernment. Now you may be thinking, I'm not very smart, you know, they're in a PhD hiding in this person. I mean, they're in a high school diploma hiding in this person. I, I'm not very smart. You don't have to be smart to be discerning. That's not what it's about. Discernment is not about how much knowledge you have. Discernment is about developing that, that smell, that taste that comes through knowing Jesus and comes through the Spirit of God. And so you, you develop that spiritual sense of being able to know this is from God or this is not. In Hebrews chapter 5, the writer of the Hebrews says, I have so much I want to say about this. He's teaching him. I have so much I want to say. But it is hard to explain because you are slow to learn. That's not something you stay to a congregation and hope they come back next week. I want to say this, but you're kind of dumb. Come on. In fact, though by this time you ought to be teachers 
You need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's Word all over again. You need milk, not solid food. Anyone who lives on milk, still being an infant, is not acquainted with the teaching about righteousness, but solid food is for the mature who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. So this is a piece of developing discernment. I got my nose in the book. And I'm just learning again and again because I'm taking the time to do the hard work to know and understand whether something is from God or not from God. One last thing about discernment. It is necessary for survival. You are not going to make it as a spiritual being in this world if you don't develop some discernment. You are going to be swept down the river like a dead carp if you don't develop some discernment. You need spiritual discernment. 1 Kings chapter 3. Solomon is taking over as king after his father. And he says, Now, O Lord my God, you have made your servant king in place of my father David, but I am only a little child, and I do not know how to carry out my duties. Your servant is here among the people. You have chosen a great people, too numerous to count or number. So give your servant a discerning heart to govern your people and to distinguish between right and wrong. For who is able to govern this great people of yours? Solomon said, I need to grow in discernment. And it's a prayer that we all need to pray. God, help me. Help me to grow in discernment. Help me to grow in relationship with you, in relationship to your son, that I might grow in discernment. So we're going to spend the month really examining, do we have the mind of Christ? Do we have it collectively as a church, and do we have it individually? Do we have biblical discernment taking place in our congregation, and within us as individuals. If we don't, we better pursue it because it's righteous. And if we do, we need to keep developing more and more, no matter what the world may say. I'm going to follow Jesus no matter what the world may say. We're always discerning. The question is, are we biblically discerning? Father God, I pray that you would grow us in wisdom and discernment, that you will help us as, as we walk through just a a mucky, sin-soaked world. Not to just point our fingers in judgment and say, oh, you're wrong, you're bad, you're ugly. But, but to be able to know the difference between right and wrong, truth and error, what is moral and what is immoral, and to walk in your ways. To grow the mind of Christ. To live as spiritually discerning beings. Knowing that as we do, we're going to feel less and less a part of this world. And that's not all bad, because this world is not our home. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. So our team is going to come back up, and they're going to lead us in a couple of songs. And as they do, we're going to be moving to communion. And we have communion located in several different areas around the room. You have two tables up front. A cup is there, as well as a bread tray. We have a table in the back on this side, as well as a table over here. So you can go to one of those four places for for uh, uh, gluten-rich communion. And if you're looking for gluten-free communion, we have two trays here on either side of the platform as well as one on the, on the table in the back. And what we've done for some of you, uh, if you're still you know, kind of nervous about taking from that, that cup, from that bread, we have some of the pre-sealed ones at each station as well so that you can take that, take that if you prefer. Father God in heaven, I pray that as we move toward uh, communion this morning 
that we will ask the question again and again, am I developing the mind of Christ? This, this person that I'm celebrating this morning, as I, as I take this bread and put it in my mouth, as I, as I drink this cup, is my mind like his? Is my mind anywhere close to his? Is it growing in that direction? Help us, God. Help us to grow the mind of Christ. In Jesus' name. So I have a question for you to work on this week as you think about discernment. A lot of people wear the little WWJD bracelet. What would Jesus do? Um, Probably the more important question is, what would Jesus think or what does Jesus think? What does Jesus think? Now, I know kind of the way this works. Some of you are going to go, huh, what does Jesus think? Well, my Jesus would think blah, 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 right? The little idol you've created that isn't Jesus at all. This is the Jesus we're talking about here. We don't have to guess what he thinks. He's told us what he thinks. I said earlier that, you know, I know what Kim thinks by being with her for a while. When we were first married, um, I would impose what I thought Kim thought, right? The person I wanted her to be. For example, I grew up in a Polish house. We loved Polish food, loved fresh Polish sausage and smoked Polish sausage and, and all this fun Polish such, the, the cabbage, the, the sauerkraut with the split peas and, and salt pork in it, all this stuff. And I marry this girl and I'm like, of course she's going to love this. Who wouldn't love this? She loves me. And she sat down to one of our first Polish feasts and she didn't eat much. She didn't eat much. And I'm like, you know, what's wrong? Ew, cabbage. Ew, sauerkraut. Ew, grease. Ew, peasant food. She's, you know, blown up, pinkies up. So anyway, um, she's watching, by the way. Sorry, Kim. But um, <clears throat> it's who I wanted her to be. I wanted her to be a little Polish princess. I wanted us to share this together. That wasn't her. That wasn't her. And that's what we do to Jesus. We say, this is who I want you to be instead of this is who you are. So this week, as you're going through the week, What does Jesus think? Not the Jesus of your creation, but the Jesus of the Bible, the Jesus who is in heaven right now, who has some thoughts. We have the mind of Christ. Or do we? Or do we? What does Jesus think? Enjoy your week. We'll see you next.